Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warrior Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedars-Sinai for 33 years. Wow. Long time. Love it. What a great day I had in the operating room yesterday. Hip surgery, but my beloved reversed shoulder replacement. Did another one yesterday. It is just an awesome solution for one of the biggest problems we see. When you get older, you lose the cartilage in your shoulder, and you also tear your rotator cuff. When I first started 33 years ago, we didn't have a solution to this. But thanks to a crazy, brilliant, genius French surgeon, we can fix this problem in a way that you never thought possible. By switching the way God made your shoulder, the ball on one side, the socket on the other, flip them, reverse them. It's amazing. Every time I do one, it's just, it's like being Pablo Picasso. Can't wait to tell you more about surgery. And there's going to be a lot of clapper vision, not just with you, the weekend warrior, and the numbers 877-710-ESPN, but we got so much to talk about. LeBron James has got swelling in his knee. What is swelling in the knee? Why do you get it? What is exactly, for example, is a Baker's cyst? Well, you feel that water balloon in the back of your knee. Why? Why do you get a Baker's cyst? How do you treat it? Swelling in the knee. It's fascinating. We'll do some clapper vision about that. And Anthony Davis. His hand and wrist hit the rim with a vicious dunk. And now he has soreness. Well, the good news is he had an x-ray. What do we look for on an x-ray of a wrist that's unique to the wrist, that tells us that not only is something not fractured or dislocated, but believe it or not, we can see ligament damage on an x-ray of a wrist, even though you can't see the ligament. Why is that possible? Well, the clapper vision is going to be Michael Strahan. When he smiles, he's got a gap between his two front teeth. Terry Thomas, the actor from way back when, had that as well. Leon Spinks and the model Lauren Hutton. Some people have a gap between their teeth. That's a clapper vision for what we look for on the x-ray of your wrist. And I'll explain because I want to do some clapper vision about Anthony Davis and what a negative x-ray means even though his wrist is still sore. The ultimate clapper vision, though, is going to be about tomorrow's games. Because Patrick Mahomes dislocated his kneecap. No surgery. Went back into place. But what is it when a kneecap dislocates? What are we looking for? How can we treat it without surgery? Is the position of your knee straightening versus bending it, putting you more at risk for dislocating your kneecap? Clapper vision is going to involve a bowling ball. So stay tuned for that. And certainly that'll be the Warriors and the Clapper Vision. Don't forget you, the Weekend Warrior. So much fun to be able to break this down artistically, using words to paint pictures, a skill that I admired so much in Chick Hearn and certainly in Vin Scully. That's what we do each and every Saturday. Today's topic, fascinating. My guest at 815 calling in, from a giant yacht in the Bahamas right now where he is underwater scootering with stingrays. He just sent me a video. But he's a fascinating man, Richard Wolpert. Of the many things he's done in his life, he's, he spent a lot of time with Steve Jobs. And we can talk about the journey through life my guest has had in the world of tech. But as soon as he told me he spent so many years side-by-side side with Steve Jobs, it made me think about Steve Jobs. Here's another example of a man who changed our lives. In 2007, when the iPhone was launched, our lives, all of ours, changed. But in 2005, Steve Jobs gives that commencement speech to Stanford University, to all these brand-new college graduates, about the fact that he got cancer. And he saw death. 
He tells the students, I'm going to make it through. I had surgery. I'll be fine. But in fact, he's not. He will die in 2011. But in this speech, because he faced death with a horrible cancer, pancreatic cancer that he knew he had, he thinks he licked it, but he didn't, he teaches the students that it is through death that you actually learn to appreciate life and tells them how they should live their life. And Will is going to play some of those sound bites in the next segment. But you know how much I love the world of art, the world of sports, and the world of surgery. Where in my lifetime did I see a young person, a young man, given the terminal diagnosis, you're going to die in three months, in six months, whatever it is, but soon, and hear them teach us, I'm not going to be here anymore, they'll say. But this is what you should do with your life. In the world of art, you remember this song? Well, let's play the song that they've all heard of. It's a crazy song written and sung by Warren Zevon called Werewolves of London. Of a lot of great songs that we've heard over the years. As the songwriter and then as the singer. But lo and behold, Warren Zevon was the favorite musician, singer-songwriter of, guess who? David Letterman. And we're going to play some sound bites of David Letterman and Paul Schaefer, who became very close with Warren Zevon on the day that Warren Zevon died. Because a year before, and he was on their show like 15, 20 times, Warren Zevon got mesothelioma, which is a horrific lung cancer, very often associated with asbestos, by the way. But it's a terminal diagnosis. You're going to die in three months, six months, but it's going to happen. He was only 56 years old, same age as Steve Jobs, by the way. And David Letterman says, Warren, you know you're going to die soon. You, you look great, but the diagnosis is there. What can you teach us? about how we should live our lives. Wait till you hear what Warren Zevon has to say. And what about the world of sports? In my lifetime, I heard, and it's black and white footage, it's from a speech from 1939, a long time ago, almost 100 years ago. But it was Lou Gehrig. They actually call the disease now Lou Gehrig disease, but it's ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis. It's this awful neurologic degenerative disease that just, you know, he started to fall down. It's an awful diagnosis where your nerves essentially just rot quickly. But Lou Gehrig at age 37 is going to die and he knows it. And he gives a speech that you got to hear. Teaching us how we should live our lives. So yeah, today's show is kind of Interesting, because who wants to talk about death? How could that be something uplifting on a Saturday morning of the greatest football games that await us on Sunday? But actually, it's only because there is death that awaits all of us that makes us appreciate the precious life that we have. And certainly in food, oh my God, I thought long and hard about the high life, how to live your life. And I grew up, my dad was a carpenter, the only indulgent. He never took a vacation, worked seven days a week. He had one indul- two indulgence. One, he had pickled herring on Sunday mornings, and I used to go with him to the appetizing store. And the other one was at night for dinner, my mother let him share with her a can of beer, a bottle of beer. That was it. She wouldn't let him have any more. And my dad loved Miller. Miller High Life. And there used to be an ad. But last night I had for dinner, thinking about today's show, what would be the greatest thing I would want to have for dinner if it is my last day? What if this is my last show, my last day on earth? What do I want to have for dinner? Well, I had it last night. And I'm going to tell you what it is a little later in the show. But right now, I want to play, Will, the segment of Warren Zevon. And the love affair that David Letterman had with him 
and as he talks about him dying and that the year before he was a guest on the show and what Warren Zevon taught David Letterman and actually teaches all of us about how to live our life. You won't believe it. I'll give you a hint. It involves food, which is why I love it so much. So let's hear soundbite number one. And, of course, uh, today we received the uh, sad news that our good friend Warren Zevon passed away. He had been uh, ill, I guess, for uh, close to a year. And he was on our program uh, just about a year ago in October. And uh, it's a very sad thing. He was a very nice man. He uh, was a great friend of ours. He'd been on this show many, many times. He uh, appeared as a guest, I think, about five times on, on The Late Show. On our, on our old show, uh, the one over at NBC, Paul and I used to have, he was a guest nine times. And he filled in for Paul when Paul was not able to be here uh, ab- about 20 times. Yeah. So we, sure. we got to know Warren Zevon very, very well. Yeah, let's play soundbite two. But he's, he's one of these guys, even when he was here and we knew he was dying because of, of the kind of uh, reputation that he had and because of his music and because of the life he led, you had a feeling maybe he would come back around and win this one. Didn't you get absolutely, that feeling, yeah, Paul? Absolutely, especially and, yeah, since, and, you know, his, his diagnosis changed. That's and, right. Uh, you know, he said at one point, I hope, I'm not a hypochondriac. Really, they told me that I only had certain amount of, because he had outlived the diagnosis. That's right. And, and, and we kept getting reports that he was feeling a little better and feeling a little stronger. The insight that we're about to hear from a man who knows he's dying is something I want you to pay attention to. It will actually brighten your day. Hearing from a man who knows he's going to die. Guess what? We're all going to die. It's just sooner for Warren Zevon, for Steve Jobs, for Lou Gehrig. We can learn from these folks. All right, next soundbite. And and we thought in October that that was going to be his last appearance, uh, but you kind of started hoping against hope that maybe he could somehow come around and get this because, you know, if you listen to his music, here was a guy that just spit in the face of death. You know, right. that, over and over that, again. That, that's what it was. Uh, but it was not to be, and it, it's, uh, it's a darn shame. He was 56 years old. Next. People are always asking me, what do I like about his music? And I, I'm not a musicologist or an expert about music or anything, but I've, I've tried to think very hard about what it is about this man's music that, was, uh, that I love so much. One, the, the music itself was just exciting. It, it was just thundering and exciting and rhythmic and complicated and, and unusual rock and roll. It was, it was not the kind of rock and roll you would hear much of. And then the lyrics... Oh, my God, the lyrics were so vivid, just very evocative, and each song that you listened to was like watching a motion picture. He used his lyrics, Warren Zevon, to paint a picture. He was a poet. He was a storyteller. And he clearly touched David Letterman in a way that no other musician ever did. Who knew? Let's hear more. He was a poet and a storyteller and, and a good friend of ours. And we're just, I mean, we all knew this was coming, hoping that it wouldn't. But uh, yesterday afternoon in California, the the inevitable happened. So uh, we're very sad about that. I want to show you one moment when Warren was on the program in October. And um, it it was a little awkward because we knew he was dying. We were talking about him dying. And it's it's just a, a difficult conversation, as you obviously know or would guess to have with anybody. And, and I asked him if, from his perspective, he knew anything about life and death that uh, maybe the rest of us didn't. And this is what Warren had to say. And this, you're about to hear Warren Zevon speak, telling David Letterman, yep, I know I'm going to die soon. And here's the insight I can share with you about what you should do with your life. First, you'll hear David Letterman ask him the question, as only the great David Letterman could. And then you're going to hear Warren Zevon speak. Take note. This is what it's all about. Okay. From, from your perspective now, do, do you know something about uh, life and death that maybe I don't know now? Not unless I know how much, how much you're supposed to enjoy every sandwich. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and it's... it's uh, 
That's it. That's it. It was, it was, it was so simple and so reassuring and so obvious, and I felt so good that that he didn't really know any more than you're supposed to know. Yeah. That's that's what you, that's the lesson you you need to live each day of your life with, and and there he had it for us, and uh, I, I thought that was uh, quite sweet and quite touching. Enjoy every sandwich, <laughs> as only we can talk about. On the Weekend Warriors show. Make your trip to Good Time Donuts in Ventura. I've convinced Sue to make a donut called a tsunami. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. I'm a doctor. I shouldn't tell you to have donuts. Next thing you know, I'll tell you to start smoking cigarettes. But no, those are bad for you. But enjoy every sandwich. Coming up next, you're going to hear advice that will also change your life from a man who saw death sooner than he should have, both in the world of sports and also from the great Steve Jobs. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip, Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. Don't miss my show, Mason and Ireland, back Monday at 1, all here on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. The best entertainer. Forget going to the movies. Start your weekend off right. Listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. So the Clapper was looking at the flapper. Can you imagine how cool that was? Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN. 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's the great Frank Sinatra. Talking about the good life. Because that's what it is. And what makes it so precious is actually the fact that we all will die at some point. The sad part is if you die too soon, that you don't get to have the full life. The Romans only lived to be 35 years old. But if you know that's coming soon, you will definitely appreciate the few moments you still have left. It's an important lesson. So in 2007, Steve Jobs changed all of our worlds by introducing at the Mac world, the Apple convention, the iPhone. And in the beginning of that speech, he says, I've been dying to give this presentation for two and a half years. That's how long I've been working on it. Well, if you subtract two and a half years from 2007... When you actually hear him, which you're going to about to hear, in 2005, he's given a talk, a commencement speech to the graduating seniors at Stanford. In 2005, he's working on the iPhone as he's given this talk. He got the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. They did surgery, but it's a terminal disease. He thinks he's going to beat it, but he's not. But in the process, like Warren Zevon, enjoy every sandwich. I want you to hear how you should live your life from someone who's facing death. Let's go to Steve Jobs number one. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. (laughs) It made an impression on me. And since then, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Number two. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. 
Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. Now he talks about following your heart, what to do with your life. Next bite. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. About a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a scan at 7.30 in the morning, and it clearly showed a tumor on my pancreas. I didn't even know what a pancreas was. The doctors told me this was almost certainly a type of cancer that is incurable and that I should expect to live no longer than three to six months. Mm. They told him to get his affairs in order. Next. My doctor advised me to go home and get my affairs in order, which is doctor's code for prepare to die. It means to try and tell your kids everything. You thought you'd have the next 10 years to tell them in just a few months. It means to make sure everything is buttoned up so that it will be as easy as possible for your family. It means to say your goodbyes. This next bite is interesting. He's trying to describe as, as a patient what it's like to get a biopsy of your pancreas. Next one. I live with that diagnosis all day. Later that evening, I had a biopsy where they stuck an endoscope down my throat, through my stomach and into my intestines, put a needle into my pancreas and got a few cells from the tumor. I was sedated, but my wife, who was there, told me that when they viewed the cells under a microscope, the doctor started crying because it turned out to be a very rare form of pancreatic cancer that is curable with surgery. I had the surgery, and thankfully, I'm fine now. Hmm. How do you face that death, Steve Jobs? Next one. This was the closest I've been to facing death, and I hope it's the closest I get for a few more decades. Having lived through it, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty than when death was a useful but purely intellectual concept. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet, death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. Hmm. It's actually what gives life meaning. Next bite. And that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Mm. And finally, you hear me every Saturday for 11 years. Go find a total stranger. Do something nice for them. Yeah, try to make the world a better place, one person at a time. But be you. Don't try to be who people want you to be. You be who you want to be, because you only get one journey. Finally. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Hmm. There it is. Facing death gives meaning to your life. How precious it is every second. Yeah, there are tough times. We all have them. Right now, today in the studio, we have no computers. I don't even know how we're doing this show. That's why I'm telling Will which sound bites to play. You want me to cry about it? I'm not crying about it. I'm so happy to be on the radio. So you can hear me preach. I feel like a rabbi every Saturday morning. You are Temple Beth ESPN. <laughs> oh, my God. Let me take you back to my bar mitzvah, okay? I can't tell you what I ate for breakfast yesterday, but I can tell you, at age 13, standing up in front of the entire congregation, by the way, with two parents who didn't believe in God, and I had to read in that ancient language of Hebrew from the Torah. And I remember looking out on that huge crowd. It was like, I felt like Bruce Springsteen in front of, you know, Shea Stadium. It seemed like an endless crowd. 
who didn't understand a single word I was saying. I didn't understand a single word I was saying. But right next to me were these two old guys from the temple who did know what I was saying and couldn't wait to correct me if I said anything slightly wrong. And I remember going, I hate these guys. What is it that's going to make them happy is to point out that I'm making a mistake. The rest of the crowd doesn't even know what I'm talking about. There's plenty of people in your life who can't wait to tell you that you're wrong. But you know what? They're gone, and I'm still here. Live your life. The words of Steve Jobs. Exactly. Mm. I can't wait to talk to you about these lessons in the world of sports. He was a Yankee, Lou Gehrig. He played right next to Babe Ruth, the most famous baseball player of the 20th century. Nobody even paid attention to Lou Gehrig. He played every single game, 2,300 consecutive games. They called him the Iron Man. It wasn't until Cal Ripken broke his record. But he didn't get the credit in New York because Babe Ruth was his teammate. Finally, Babe Ruth retires. Ah, now he'll get some recognition. Guess who the Yankees signed? Joe DiMaggio, who's the second greatest sports figure in the 20th century. Lou Gehrig could not catch a break. But he kept going and loving every second of it. Coming up next, I want you to hear from Lou Gehrig. It's a man from a million years ago. But what he teaches us is how we should live our lives. Just like Steve Jobs taught us. Just like Warren Zevon. Clapper vision. I definitely want to get into Patrick Mahomes. And certainly want to talk about Anthony Davis and what that x-ray looks like. For you to be able to say there is no ligament damage. It's fascinating. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Hey, it's Sedano. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday than when my guy, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warriors Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. And don't miss Sedano and LZ back on Monday at 4 o'clock on 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. The most gifted physical specimen I've ever seen. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. The champagne of bottled beer. (laughs) My mother always used to say, you can have champagne taste, but we got a beer pocket. (laughs) So you may want to buy champagne, but you don't have the money to buy. You only can buy beer. That's Miller Beer, the champagne of bottled beers. It's an interesting topic, how to live your life. And learning it best from people who know theirs is being cut short. Lou Gehrig, what a story. He's born in 1903. He only lives to be 37 years old. He's probably the best baseball player to ever live. But he also is parked next to Babe Ruth and then Joe DiMaggio. I want you to hear a little bit about the story, the bio of Lou Gehrig. Let's go to number one. Lou Gehrig might be the greatest baseball player that ever because he was blessed with great ability to play baseball, but he did what every one of us does, which is get up every morning and go to work. The son of German immigrants, Lou Gehrig was born on June 19, 1903, in New York City. He attended Columbia University, Uh where his hitting caught the attention of the Yankees, who signed him for the then handsome sum of $1,500. Lou Gehrig played at Columbia, hit mammoth home runs, many that landed on 116th Street and people still talk about today. And I think that really kind of showed you just what kind of a talent you were talking about. Powerful man. Built like Mickey Mantle, like Mike Trout. Just powerful. Muscles on top of muscles. Awesome. Jewish guy. Columbia. Sounds familiar? That's what I am. But that's not why I loved him. I loved him because he gave a speech when he knew he had a terminal illness. And I'm going to play that speech for you. But listen more about the history, the story 
of Lou Gehrig. Number two. Gehrig joined the Yankees in 1923 and became the starting first baseman in 1925. He set a long-standing record for most consecutive games played in Major League Baseball, earning him the nickname the Iron Horse. Lou Gehrig would play no matter what. He played until he couldn't play anymore because he was dying. He played in 2,130 consecutive games. No ball player had ever done that before, and no one did it after him until Cal Ripken came along. And he played in six World Series. Nobody liked Lou Gehrig. Consistent, powerful, and a beautiful guy. Next. Playing in the shadow of teammate Babe Ruth, Gehrig amassed 2,721 hits, 493 home runs, and proved himself to be one of the most dominant hitters in baseball. A career 340 hitter, Gehrig helped the Yankees win six World Series between 1927 and 1938. I think when you look at Lou Gehrig's numbers, sometimes you almost think they're fiction or typos because they're so enormous. Day after day, you look at his box scores, and he was filling box scores in ways that players just don't do every day. But then it happens. While he's playing for the Yankees, he starts to trip over his own feet. Something terrible is happening. He has no control over his body anymore. It's a slow, steady loss of muscle function the clapper vision is your muscles are the light in the lamp the electricity that allows you to plug that lamp into the wall are the nerves if you start don't just pull the plug out of the wall but jiggle the plug in the wall the light will start to flicker it's not a steady stream of electricity the light flickers. Kind of like the computers today here in the uh, studio. Thank you very much, Will. But that is a degenerative neurologic disease that will affect the muscles because they're the electricity, the nerves, to the muscles. So finally, listen to this. During the 1938 season, Gehrig's performance started to slip. And on May 2nd, 1939, in an unprecedented move, he pulled himself from the Yankee lineup ending his streak of games played. He started to trip over his feet. He started to have difficulty with dexterity with his hands. And that was really the first warning sign for him that he should get checked out. Gehrig checked into the Mayo Clinic and was diagnosed with amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, a degenerative muscular disease, later commonly referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease. And he ultimately will die at age 37 in 1941. But in 1939, he knows he's dying of this disease and will rob him of a full life. He gives a speech, and I apologize, the speech, it's you know black and white footage, it's old. And some of it's not clear, so I'll translate a little bit, where he says, I know I've been given a bad break, but I want you to hear him say, I still consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Oh, my God. Because he's not dying immediately. He just knows it's going to be tomorrow or the next day, but it's coming soon. And to appreciate the precious time that he's had and the journey he's had, even the bad days are good days. Let's listen to this historic speech about how you should live your life from the great Yankee Lou Gehrig. For the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad brag. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. When you look around, wouldn't you consider it privilege to associate yourself with such a fine-looking man as a standing in uniform in this ballpark today. That I might have been given a bad break, but I've got an awful lot to live for. How do you like that? What I find most interesting is the world of things that are opposite Steve Jobs is telling you, you want to know the greatest thing about life? Is that there's death. Lou Gehrig's saying, I've been given a bad break, but I'm also lucky. How could you 
coexist. These two opposite things. You can't be given a bad break and then say, I'm lucky. How can you be lucky to get a bad break? But that's exactly right. The only reason why life means anything is because the opposite is going to occur, which is death. Why should you wait to get that information and not realize right now today could be the greatest day, needs to be the greatest day of your life? It's an awesome story. And at 8.15, I can't wait to talk to my guest, Richard Walpert, who works side by side with Steve Jobs, who absolutely sucked the juice out of every single second minute he was here. Changed the world, not just with the iPhone, changed the music business, the journalism business, the radio business, your business, whatever it is that you do, there's no Uber unless there's an iPhone with an app. Well, the iPhone and therefore the app came from Steve Jobs. Everything that we do came from this guy. And he's teaching us how to live the life. Can you imagine working side by side with him? Richard Wolpert did. I cannot wait to talk to him. On a lighter note, let's talk about sports. Talk about the Lakers. Talk about their injuries. There are eight bones that make up your wrist. So when we take Anthony Davis or you and get an x-ray between your fingertips and your forearm sitting inside your wrist, are eight bones. You want a clapper vision? Here's a clapper vision. Clapper vision. A pearl necklace. A pearl necklace that's made up of eight pearls. Those are the eight bones that are in your wrist. Well, when you look at a pearl necklace, the jeweler purposely ties the knot of that string so that the two pearls don't bump into each other until the third pearl, the fourth pearl, till the, the string of pearls, the knot is exactly the same size. So the distance between each pearl is exactly the same. Otherwise, it would look weird, right? When I look at an x-ray of a wrist, it's like you stuffed into that space between your fingers and your forearm an eight-beaded pearl necklace where every stitch of the knot between each of the pearls, between each of the bones, is exactly the same size. So if you bang your wrist on the rim of the basket and it hurts and it gets swollen and it's painful, we take an x-ray. We look for a fracture, see if the bone is broken, sure. We look to see if a bone is dislocated. The wrist is, you'll see dislocated wrists. But the subtle ligament damage where the string between the pearl beads has been ripped, that you tore a ligament in your wrist. It's not an MRI. I'm talking a plain x-ray. You can make the diagnosis because guess what you see on the x-ray? You see a gap. You see all the other pearls, all the other bones, the distance between them, exactly the same. And one space between two of the bones is wider than all the others. You then can say you tore a ligament because you have a gap. You can call it the Leon Spink sign. You can call it the Terry Thomas sign, the old actor who had a space between his teeth. Or you can call it the Michael Strahan sign. But there is a gap. And we can see it on the x-ray, and we know there's ligament damage. So thankfully, you take an x-ray of Anthony Davis, he may still be sore. And an MRI would show you if there's a bone bruise, edema in the bone, a black and blue mark in the bone. Very painful. Or a sprain or strain to a ligament. You can see that on the MRI. But is it completely torn? No. Because the x-ray is negative. So when people say you can't see ligaments on an x-ray, they're right. But you can see the effect. And this is why I love 
Leonardo da Vinci. Because towards the end of his life, he wanted to paint things that in life are invisible. So he painted wind. Can't paint wind, but he painted the effect of wind on trees. He, he painted the ocean and the waves and the spray of the water. He painted wind, but really the effects of wind. Same thing for an x-ray of your wrist. It's like Leonardo da Vinci. Can't see the ligament, but if it's torn, you see the gap. Fascinating. What about LeBron James and his swelling in his knee? Many of you have heard of what's known as a Baker's cyst, a swelling in the back of the knee. What is a Baker's cyst, also called a popliteal cyst? Why does it get inflamed? What's going on? Does it make any sense to drain it, to do surgery on it? No. Why do I say no? Because it all goes back to understanding the anatomy. Coming up next, I'll explain a great clap revision of swelling in the knee for both LeBron James's knee and I want to talk about Patrick Mahomes dislocating his kneecap. Give you some clap revision there as well. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warriors show here on 710 ESPN. What's going on? It's Max. You know there's no better way to start your Saturday morning than with my friend Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show. Don't forget to check out my show weekdays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., 710 ESPN. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. All right. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I'm Big Clap. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. This is the great Warren Zevon. Warren Zevon, singer, songwriter, taken too soon. Bad lung cancer called mesothelioma. Very often associated with asbestos exposure, breathing it in. Because asbestos cannot be broken down by your body. So that foreign substance gets into your lungs. Your body tries to eat it, tries to break it down, but it can't. And in the overzealous response, cancer comes. Truly a carcinogen, as they call him. That's what Warren Zevon got. Why are we playing Warren Zevon? Because Warren Zevon went on David Letterman and told David Letterman what he's learned by being given a terminal disease, how we should live our lives. Maybe we'll play that soundbite again, Will, number six of Warren Zevon on David Letterman. Let's do that. From, from your perspective now, do, do you know something about uh, life and death that maybe I don't know now? Not unless I know how much, how much you're supposed to enjoy every sandwich, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> It was, it, was, it was so simple and so reassuring and so obvious, and I felt so good that, that he didn't really know any more than you're supposed to know. Yeah. That's, that's, what you, that's the lesson you're, you need to live each day of your life with, and, and there he had it for us. And uh, I, I thought that was uh, quite sweet and quite touching. Unbelievable. Warren Zevon, may he rest in peace. And thank you for reminding the rest of us who are still here to enjoy every sandwich. It's a fascinating topic how the end of your life, death, is the greatest motivator for how you should see how precious life is while you are here. Steve Jobs taught us the same thing. His life ended early. And so did Lou Gehrig. It's awesome. All right, let's talk about sports. Let's talk about Clapper Vision. Let's talk about what a Baker cyst is, a fluid collection, swelling in the knee. 
Your thigh bone is your femur. Your shin bone is your tibia. Your kneecap is the patella. And there's a small little bone on the little toe side of your knee called the fibula. You, in essence, have a water balloon between your thigh bone and your shin bone with the kneecap in front. That water balloon holds the motor oil that lubricates the joint so that the two bones rub together your knee joint with less friction than two ice cubes rubbing together. That's the miracle of the body you've been given. They can't even come up with something like that at the Jet Propulsion Lab or NASA. Your body has something more miraculous than any robot, any computer could ever make. It's almost frictionless because when you straighten and bend your knee, it's in a fluid medium. It's awesome. But when you tear your meniscus, when you get arthritis, when you have any internal derangement, you tear your ligament, it gets irritated. It's like getting poked in the eye. Swelling occurs in the middle of the water balloon. But guess what? The kneecap is made of bone. It is not going to expand like a water balloon. The medial ligament, the lateral ligament, on the big toe side and the little toe side of your knee joint, those are thick ligaments. When the water balloon blows up because it's irritated, they're not going to expand like a water balloon. So the kneecap prevents you from expanding in the front, and the ligaments that are thick and strong on either side don't let you expand the water balloon on the sides. So where's the weak spot? In the back. So it sounds crazy. Patients come to me all the time. I'm having pain. I'm having swelling. And they point to the back of their knee. That's where the problem is, Dr. Clapper. And I'll tell them, actually, that's not where the problem. That's where the swelling is. But because that's the weak spot that the water balloon can expand into, because you don't have a kneecap or thick ligaments, so you feel the fluid collect in the back of the knee, but when the trouble is coming from the front of the knee. And we can actually get something called a Baker cyst, a popliteal cyst. Why? Because on the big toe side of your knee, the medial side of your knee, and I'm talking about the back of your knee, there's a muscle belly that crosses the back of the knee that comes from your calf muscle. The medial head of your gastrocnemius muscle, your calf muscle, it doesn't come from the shin bone below the knee. It doesn't come from the capsule, the back of your knee uh, joint. It actually comes from the end of the thigh bone, believe it or not. It crosses the back of the knee joint. Well, there's a muscle that comes from your pelvis, better known as your hamstring, one of the hamstring muscles, called the semimembranosus muscle. Beautiful, long muscle. You're sitting right now driving. You're sitting listening to me. You're sitting on your ischial tuberosity, your pelvis. That's how you're sitting down. Well, one of the muscles that goes along the back of your thigh originates from that ischial tuberosity of your pelvis, and it diagonally crosses the back of your thigh. That long muscle that comes from your pelvis, one of them is called the semimembranosus, and guess where it meets? Guess where it kisses another muscle? The medial head of the gastroc. So the design of our body is that when two muscles are next to each other, they shouldn't rub into each other as they each fire to do different things in moving your joints like a puppet. So we have a fluid-filled sac called a bursa that lives between those two muscles that could rub against each other. So there's a bursa between the semimembranosus and the medial head of the gastroc. It's a small little fluid-filled sac. Well, guess where that fluid comes from to fill that bursa? Uniquely, by the way, in this one area in the body. Because most bursa, like the tip of your elbow, there's a bursa. But that fluid-filled sac doesn't come from your elbow joint. It's just there between the skin and the tip of your elbow. The olecranon bursa, it's called, so you don't erode your bone through the skin. But here's a rare example where the fluid, the lubricating fluid for the bursa between these two muscle muscles comes from the knee joint. So there's a communication right under your skin 
to that bursa, and if you keep flowing, Old Man River, Mississippi River, you keep flowing, you actually go directly into your knee joint. Therefore, this is Talmudic thinking. The opposite is true. If you actually get swelling for meniscus tear, arthritis, ligament damage, for whatever reason, gout in your knee joint, and it blows up with fluid, high pressure because there's a lot of fluid in your knee joint, guess what happens? It will now go through that little one-way valve out of the knee joint into that bursa between the gastroc, medial head of the gastroc and the semimembranosus into the popliteal space in the back of your knee. So if you have something irritating the inside of your knee, afsoluchus, this is a Yiddish term, you will have swelling massively in the back of your knee and become very difficult. You won't even be able to bend your knee all the way. You'll have pain. A lot of doctors like to stick a needle in there to drain it. A lot of doctors drain it. They inject cortisone. Some actually even tell you you should have surgery. Guess what? It's going to come back. It's going to keep coming back because that's a communication that's naturally there. But what it does mean is you want to make it go away. You better look long and hard with an MRI at what is causing the swelling in the knee joint. Don't just look at the effect. Don't just look at the tree that's bending. Ask yourself, why is this tree bending over? Why is there a spray in the ocean? Ask yourself, why? And the answer is, something is causing that swelling to occur in the back that's coming from inside the knee. Do you have arthritis? Do you have a meniscus tear? Do you have a torn ligament? You need to take care of that. You take care of that. You then will get your cyst to go away because you, the instigator is now taken care of. So that's the way you have to think about it. Now, you should count on your doctor to think about it, but probably that's not going to happen all the time. There's a book I wrote with Lindy Yui called Heal Your Knees. Read it. It'll help you understand how the anatomy works so that you can ask the right question. So when they say, you got a meniscus tear, I want you to say, where is the tear? Red zone, white zone, red-white zone. What kind of tear do I have? Oblique, vertical, horizontal. You're an honorary doctor when you're a weekend warrior listener. Coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories, stories that we learn about how to live life from Steve Jobs, Warren Zevon, and Lou Gehrig. And my guest at 815 is the great Richard Wolpert. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN.